Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. Today we're talking baseball with Sue Falsoni, a physical therapist and certified athletic trainer who has worked with professional baseball players and other elite athletes for much of her career. In 2012 and 2013, she led the training team of the Los Angeles Dodgers, making her the first woman to hold the long-standing head trainer position of a major American professional sports team. In the following interview, Sue provides insight about the ways the pros prepare themselves for the rigors of a long baseball season, and she weighs in on the potential dangers of youth athletes specializing in baseball too soon, a trend that could be related to the recent spike in severe elbow injuries at the professional level. Here's our conversation with Sue Falsoni. Sue, you received a lot of recognition. You became the first woman to be named the head physical therapist and athletic trainer of a Major League Baseball team, the L.A. Dodgers. But that's hardly been your only connection to the sport. So let's just start here. How much of your career has been spent working with baseball players of all abilities? A significant portion of my career has been spent with baseball players. When I started working at Athletes Performance about 13 years ago is really when I started working with a lot of players in minor league baseball and major league baseball as well as a little bit of high school. And so to sort of see some of those people that I worked with when they were young kind of transition into, into their major league careers has been pretty cool. But yeah, overall, it's been probably about 15 years. Let's talk about athletes' performance for just a second. That's a facility that's really grown, and you were there in some key years. So for people that aren't familiar with what an established center that is for all sorts of athletes, give me a sense of what the athletes' performance experience is like. Yeah, it's basically a performance institute for the elite and professional athlete, as well as we do a lot of corporate wellness, as well as military work with special forces and and different things throughout the the wellness world as well. So it's really what sort of started out as a professional athlete haven has really grown um, in order to, to reach a lot more of the masses and to really sort of take that programming and bring it to other people like the military who are extremely active and obviously and you know need to be in fantastic shape and need to be able to perform to their best ability in order to perform their job. So it's really sort of evolved over the last decade, which has been pretty cool to watch. They've recently renamed themselves as EXOS, E-X-O-S, and they're just continuing to move forward. They do a lot of stuff with education for professionals in physical therapy, athletic training, strength and conditioning, performance coaching, that whole thing, as well as work with different teams and whatnot. And that's really sort of how I first started to work with the Dodgers was through the relationship with AP. One of the things about physical therapy is the ability to really tailor workouts and treatment and prehabilitation, rehabilitation to any given patient's needs and abilities. That said, when you're dealing with elite athletes or even members of the military, and these are all people who are in peak physical condition, want to stay that way, they want to stay strong, they want to stay fast. So how different really is the, say, off-season training regimen for an NFL wide receiver versus a Major League Baseball player? I mean, how much do you really take into consideration their sport, or do you just look at them as this sort of physical specimen that you want them to be as big and strong and fast as they can always be regardless of their sport? Does that make sense? 
Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I think that's a great question, and I think that there's different phases to it. We definitely look at the individual sport, and not only the individual sport, but the individual positions. You know, a quarterback has very different needs than an offensive lineman. So you really have to look at each individual's position that they play in that sport and what they're going to need in order to be successful at that or their job. And so really sort of starting with, screening the entire body, making sure each joint is sort of working, you know, properly, independently, and then making sure that those things are all working properly together. And then you can start to build performance and movement on top of it. So really starting to get people up, get people moving after an injury, start to reintroduce common movement patterns that they're going to need for their job or for their sport, and just slowly start to build on that. And it just really depends. I mean, sometimes people need more speed. Sometimes people need mass. Sometimes people need power. So it just sort of depends on their needs, their goals, and whatever they're returning to. Let's bring it into baseball then. So maybe this is too simple a question, but, you know, looking at, say, pitchers versus hitters, if you're dealing with a pitcher, are there certain things, you know, to to think about their throwing arm seems obvious, and elbow strength, shoulder strength, all those things. But what else maybe with a pitcher are you looking for, and how might that differ from an everyday batter and fielder? Yeah, they definitely have different needs for sure. I think, you know, with pitchers, it is really easy to sort of focus on their arm, but really their power production is produced in their legs through the ground and then transferred through their trunk. And then really their arm is sort of the end of the whip. That's kind of the last thing to go. So really over the years, people have sort of moved on and really focused a lot on leg strengthening, core strengthening, those sorts of things, and how the body really sort of transfers that force from the ground up through the body and out the arm. So, you know, definitely taking a more total body approach to training of a pitcher's body than probably in previous decades. And then for the fielder, the batter, whatever you want to call them, a non-pitcher, basically, are you working on things with them that you wouldn't with pitchers? I'm assuming more speed work, things like that. But what for a batter might be more important? Yeah, you know, their hip mobility is really important, and we want to make sure that their hips are able to do what they need to do. That, again, is where they're really going to get their power from for hitting. So if they don't have the proper mobility in their hip in order to truly use the muscles that they need to use to produce that power and, again, transfer through their trunk and then out their arms and into the bat and into the ball, if they don't have that mobility, then they're going to try to get it from somewhere else. And so they end up twisting their back a lot. And so oftentimes we do see a lot of low back pain, a lot of oblique strains, a lot of upper back things with the hitters, you know, that maybe you wouldn't see in in other places or other people. That's really what we try to keep an eye on and, and stay focused on. Baseball is such an interesting sport because there's so much of kind of standing around and waiting to take action and suddenly being thrust into that action. Does that present any sort of unique or approaches in terms of their fitness and, and what you try to get them prepared for? It does. It presents a huge challenge. And, again, sort of depends on the person and what their role is within the team. So most of the starters, you know, they know what they're, they've got to do. They prepare the same way every day for the game. You know, and in between innings, they're either, you know, looking at how they just performed or they're, you know, just sort of moving around. And they're always sort of kind of moving around in the field, too. But the people who 
it presents a huge challenge for are the guys that are going into the game, like, in the middle of the game. So those guys really need to kind of start getting ready. They usually start getting ready about the third inning if nothing seems crazy that it's going to happen, you know, that they've got to get in there earlier. And then they really start to do their warm-up during the game knowing that they're going to go in closer to the, you know, maybe sixth or seventh or eighth inning, depending on what's going on. So it does present quite a challenge for, for the strength coaches and for the medical staff. And, and, you know, we try to keep a lot of soft tissue tools down near the bench, you know, things like sticks and different foam rollers to kind of keep their muscles, kind of keep the muscles mobile and active, especially if it's really cold outside. You know, sometimes there's a, a stationary bike down there that some guys will hop on in order to sort of just keep their legs moving. But there's just a lot of activity going on. So it's funny because from, you know, I know from the stands, it looks like everyone's sort of just standing around watching the, the hitter and the and the pitcher. And yet there's all this stuff going on constantly in the background. It's, it's pretty crazy. Absolutely. So let's go back to the pitching and that whip you talked about with the arm because, you know, in, in football, there's been so much attention lately on head injuries, what seems to be a rapid increase in ACL tears. And then in baseball, there's this increased awareness, good or bad, around elbow injuries. And, and I guess the good is that, you know, Tommy John surgery to repair ulnar collateral ligament damage has become something that isn't quite as intimidating anymore. The negative seems to be that, gosh, almost everybody gets it. So basically, give me a basic sense of that really commonly well-known arm injury and how far the rehabilitation has come in recent years. Yeah, it, it definitely has developed over the years. I was really, really lucky to work with Dr. Frank Job with the Dodgers. He was a team physician for us and then a special advisor for Lyle, who just recently passed away, which was just a huge loss for the medical community. And um, it was really interesting to talk to him about how the surgery had progressed, the surgical techniques had progressed over the years, and, you know, how the rehabilitation had progressed over the years. And, and it, you know, just like everything, we're getting smarter, but that doesn't necessarily mean we have more answers. So, you know, there's a lot to that surgery and a lot to the rehab of it. And it definitely is a successful surgery, but I think there's probably a misconception at, at how people come back from it and if they truly return to their previous level throwing at the same velocity that they were throwing before. So, you know, when we really kind of took a closer look at that, it's probably not as great as everybody's seen. So it is a major surgery, and it is something that you would like to avoid if possible. It does seem that it seems to get a lot of attention, especially the spring training. There were, I think, 13 guys that turned their UCL just in, uh, in spring training alone. So it was definitely sort of a spring of, of that injury. And I'm sure why we're, we're seeing it more. I think we're just starting to see sort of the generation of the single sport athlete and sort of maybe what that is possibly doing to their bodies. And, you know, when, when I was younger, everybody played football in the fall, basketball in the winter, baseball in the spring, and then rode bikes and swam around in the summer. You know, now kids are on travel baseball teams and they're um, constantly throwing, constantly doing repetitive motions at a much, much younger age. And, you know, eventually things are going to break down. So I think that, that we're seeing probably a little bit of that as well. And, yeah, guys are getting bigger, faster, stronger across the board. And sometimes there's just a physiological limit that the body's going to hit. And so if you kind of hit that limit of how fast you're going to be able to throw, how strong you're going to be, how much power your body can handle – then something's going to break down. There's a lot of complicated factors to it, and we certainly don't have it figured out. That's the million-dollar question for sure. 
I mean, is it possible remotely that, you know, you talked about using the arm as the whip. I mean, that essentially now that there's such a focus on the, the full fitness of the baseball player, and, you know, if you look at footage from, you know, Major League Baseball in the 80s and before that just wasn't there, that essentially the, the rest of their body is getting stronger and the arm just isn't keeping up and there's just too much force on the whip. I mean, is that unrealistic mm-hmm. to think or could that be a factor? No, it's not unrealistic to think, and it's something that has definitely, you know, floated around our minds. But, you know, nobody really knows for sure sort of what's happening, and, and I think that's every medical department and strength coach in the league is working on trying to figure that out because there's just really not a direct answer to it. But I don't think it's unreasonable to sort of think. Yeah, I would say it's a million-dollar question, but with the prices that Major League Baseball players get, it's really the multi-million-dollar question. Um, and once they figure it out, uh, somebody will make a business. To go back to what you said about, you know, not taking the surgery lightly, that said, let, I think we should get appropriate due to, to what the rehab is like now compared to what it used to be. I mean, it was considered at one point essentially a career-threatening injury, and we don't look at it that way. So for the kind of the average player who has to go through that surgery, how quickly can they potentially be back to competing at this point? Yeah, you're still looking at a solid year. There's just no getting past it if you're a pitcher. If you're a position player, probably maybe closer to kind of eight months-ish if you're a position player. But uh, if you're a pitcher, you're, you're looking at a solid year no matter how you cut it. You know, and it's a long year, and it's a it's a tough process. It's tough mentally. It's tough physically. And, you, you know, you've got to work to sort of build that arm back up. So no matter how you get around it, it's, it's still a full year. So that's the injury that really gets the the attention, in part because we've got this great name that goes with it and it helps us remember it. I mean, is there a second most common? I mean, I don't even know that's the first most common, but but is there a problem that just seems to get at all baseball players? Um, yeah, you know, and it's kind of odd how it goes. It seems like every year there is sort of like the injury of the year. <laughs> Years ago, it was a week strange. It seems like. Everybody had oblique strains, and it was constantly on the news. And then, you know, it was more hamstring strains and groin strains that people were dealing with, or sometimes it's more shoulder stuff. So it just sort of depends on who gets the injury um, and how big of a profile they have, so how much media attention, you know, comes to it. But, you know, as far as the number one and number two injuries in baseball, there's no doubt arm injuries, you know, elbow and shoulder injuries are are the highest things that, baseball players deal with but exact numbers quite frankly we don't we don't exactly know we don't know exact exact numbers just i want to continue on this thought of sort of what's evolving in the game and you know again you go back a couple of decades and there's a lot of images of players coming out of the game and just sitting under giant bags of ice and then i know there are now players famously maybe tim linscombe of the san francisco giants who just sort of refuses ice in almost all cases but has the thought process among physical therapists with Baseball players, either with arms alone, changed on ice. Is that evolving? Is it is it still very individualistic based on the player and even the physical therapist? Where do we stand on the whole ice thing at this point in baseball? Yeah, it's evolving for sure. And again, you know, we're we're definitely getting smarter, but we're not producing more answers. Um, so we need a lot of efficacy research done and comparing research done in order to see truly what is quote unquote best. So as of right now, we don't have that data. So it is very much an individual preference and sort of how the person grew up within the game. You know, personally for me, by the time I work with the guys, they have their own routine down already. So, you know, from a a minor league standpoint or from a high school standpoint, it really kind of depends. And I always sort of encourage the younger kids to try different routines and to try different things so they can start to decide what is best for them. 
you know, I think ice is definitely helpful for some people, and some people are absolutely going to take the eight bags of ice to pack their arm in. You know, and other guys come in, and they just want to get on the bike and just do a general flush to kind of flush out all, you know, everything that's sort of been built up in the body over the games. They'll do some really, really light shoulder exercises, some rotator cuff work, some really light shoulder blade work, and, again, sort of just, kind of recover a little bit and just try to get all the different chemicals that get built up in your body with exercising and try to rid them that way, you know, and then they won't ice, you know, and some guys will come in, do all those active things and exercises and whatnot, and then still ice after that. So everyone is really different. I don't think we know what's best. I don't really have an, an opinion to say what is best because I haven't really seen one be more effective than the other just from an anecdotal standpoint. So you hinted earlier that maybe there's at least a chance that all of this rash of elbow injuries could be related to the, the new generation of kind of specialized baseball players who are coming up, doing things earlier, really focusing on that one sport. That would lead to a, a pretty obvious conclusion that one way that youth players can maybe better prepare themselves is to sort of cross-train and branch out more. But let's sort of think about that youth athlete beyond that. I mean, if you were to talk to somebody who's middle school age or high school age and play baseball, what are the things that they can learn from the ways that the pros prepare to avoid injury in general, both in the immediate and then long term? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think that one is to really develop your fitness and your athletic skill when you're younger, you know, as opposed to focusing on the technical aspects of the sport to really focus on your own athletic abilities. So I think that is is hugely important to really develop their own bodies, develop their mobility, develop their stability, and develop their strength so they can build their technical skills for the sport on top of it. I think oftentimes, you know, young kids get way involved in the technical aspect of the sport pretty early, and it's just not really necessary at that point. You know, they have young skeletal systems, they have young muscular systems, and and those things need to be supported and trained. And so that's where I would say that to start there, you know, working on maintaining your mobility and gaining more stability and gaining strength so you can begin to to build power on it as you get older and as your frame starts to become more mature. I think sometimes we ask the immature body to do things that they just physically can't handle. And even if they're getting through it at that time, it's usually something that might break down later on. So I find it really sort of a specialized area to train younger kids and it's definitely not my forte, and I have some great strength coaches that I work with that focus on youth development and youth youth training, and I think that parents are oftentimes investing a lot of time and money in certain exercise programs and, and different things, and as a parent, that is what I would look for, is to look for someone who specializes in that, who specializes in training youth athletes to really make sure that they're doing the right thing. You don't train a youth athlete the same way you train a professional. And then the bottom line seems to be to, to think of being an athlete and not just being a baseball player. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. I think when they're younger, they need to think about being an athlete. And I think that a lot of the pro players that I work with, they did exactly that. I mean, they had basketball scholarships that they turned down in order to play baseball, or they had football scholarships that they turned down in order to play baseball. And so, you know, these guys are athletes. They can do just about everything, and then their sport is baseball. And so I think really that's kind of the way to go at it. 
So you mentioned the misconception. I, I guess you know you get lost in the, the pitcher and the batter and miss all the subtle things that are going on around the game. Baseball is such a long season, and from somebody who's watched that up close and seen it unfold, you know, give me something that would surprise the average person in terms of what it takes to play day in day out at that level. Yeah, you know, I think that people don't know the amount of time that goes into really every day. You know, as the medical staff. We're getting to the, the training room around noon. Players start showing up about anywhere from 1230 to 1 to start their day, you know, and if they're injured, a lot of the, the treatments for people that have either aches and pains or some nagging stuff or if they're completely injured and they're not playing or on the DL or something's wrong, you know, we start that rehab process around there. And then a lot of guys are going to the weight room and getting their workouts in for the week and trying to work with the strength coaches in order to balance out the volume in the weight room with what they're doing on the field based on how much they're getting on base, how much are they running. If they're getting on base a ton and they're running a lot, they probably don't need to do a lot of running on the field with the, with the, with the coach. But yet, if maybe they haven't been playing very much, they need to be able to keep their fitness up. So it's a very individualized thing. So that whole thing is going on while we're doing treatment. And then if we're, we were at home, it'd be about 4.15, 4 o'clock, they'd go out to stretch and start to get warmed up. And then you've got batting practice, guys' bullpens are going on. We're watching as a medical crew, people that we're concerned with, watching how they're moving, how they're responding to different movements as they're taking ground balls or they're hitting or they're throwing a bullpen. So all that's going on then. And then all of a sudden at 5.30, quarter to 6, and everybody comes in and eats dinner of some sort. And then it's 6.15 and it's get ready for the game. So it's tape and, you know, whatever other things that they want to do. And um, just basically game preparation. You know, and then the game is three hours long at least. <laughs> you get a two-and-a-half-hour game. That's pretty quick. So, you're, you know, you're looking at a three-hour game, and then some guys are in the habit of working out after the game as opposed to before because they want to save their energy for the game. So they come in and they'll train. We'll assess any injuries or things that may have come up during the game. They're out of there probably by 11 p.m., and, and we're out of there as a staff by about midnight. So think that people don't realize. The, I mean, it's literally a 10-hour day for some of the guys at times. And that's, you know, and that's, a, that's a long season. Whatever. Oh, yeah, you know, and, and I think people take for granted, you know, they flip on the TV and, and the Dodgers were playing the Mets in New York, you know, on Sunday night, and then, oh, Monday they're playing whoever in L.A. So, yeah, we had to get from New York to L.A., you know, land at 3 or 4 in the morning. Everyone gets about three hours sleep, heads back to the field, kind of have an easy day. But there's really no downtime. The concept of 162 games is really difficult to grasp if you haven't lived it. So I think people would just be surprised at the amount of time that goes into every single thing every single day. So I want you to tell me about what you're doing now, but before we go there, what was the highlight for you of the whole Dodgers experience? That's a great question. You know, there were so many things that I enjoyed about that position. First and foremost is always working with the athletes for me, and that is, that's what I enjoy doing, is really helping them um, be able to sort of work on their bodies and, and get through different things to keep them successful on the field and, and to keep them healthy on the field. And so that's really, I think, any physical therapist or athletic trainer's, you know, number one thing is. So that was really neat. And, uh, you know, we got to meet some really incredible people, you know, that just different athletes. And, you know, you've got Tommy Lasorda hanging around. You've got Sandy Koufax hanging around. You can just go up and talk to those guys at any point, and, um, you know, they're all great. So it, that was pretty neat, too, to be able to sort of meet some of the, 
I guess, for lack of a better word, legends of baseball kind of Absolutely. around. And, you know, and I really enjoyed visiting the different ballparks. You know, every ballpark is so different. You know, they have their own history or, you know, are brand new and don't have much history, but they're like, you know, bells and whistles and stuff like that. So it really sort of depends. I think I really enjoyed kind of being able to visit and be in so many different ballparks throughout the country that that was a pretty neat part for me too. Let me ask you that question then. Are there any ballparks left that just have, and you don't necessarily have to name them, that still have atrocious facilities in which you would prepare somebody in the visiting locker room? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I would have said the Dodgers two years ago, but the new owners that have, have come in, I mean, completely renovated the entire underground part for, for not only the home team, but the visiting team as well. So now it's the Dodgers are one of the best visiting, visiting clubhouses. But, you know, they're a challenge. The older parks like Fenway or Wrigley, you know, it's just smaller. Yeah. Um, so you don't have as much room to sort of work with. So where, you know, we may have five tables in our home training room, we might only be able to fit two tables in a visiting training room when we're on the road. So you've got to spread people out a little bit more because there's just no room to move around. So that's probably the biggest thing is they just didn't used to build a training room that big back in the day. <laughs> so you aren't going from Major League Clubhouse to Major League Clubhouse now at this point. You're still doing some traveling. You're doing exciting new things. So tell me what you're up to now. Yeah, I started two companies. The first is called SNS Structure and Function, and it's really a consulting business. I, you know, I work with some athletes individually, just a handful of athletes that I travel with and am able to help just that individual athlete stay healthy and, and be able to stay on the field. So that's really exciting for me because that's, that's what I like to do, you know, and, and doing anything from manual therapy type stuff to performance training and working on their speed or working on their form or those sorts of things. So really being able to sort of work the gamut of the performance and a rehab continuum just on an individual basis and really sort of dive into that, that person from top to bottom is, is pretty cool. So I like to do that. And then, uh, a little business consulting as well, as well as some teaching. I do a lot of speaking at different events throughout the country, whether it's athletic trainers, physical therapists, performance coaches, whoever it may be. So doing quite a bit of teaching as well. And then also I have started a business called Dr. Ma's Systemic Dry Needling. And Dr. Ma Yantel Ma is a dry needling instructor here in the States, and it's just an incredible technique that uses a, a filament needle. People are familiar with acupuncture, and dry needling is very much based on neuroscience and neuroanatomy, and, and Dr. Ma is one of the leading people in that field. And so he's kind of moving towards retirement, so I'm taking over some of his education, and we're really working together to build specific courses for how to use dry needling with athletes. And so once that coursework gets developed, um, I'll be teaching a lot of that as well. So really right now, a lot of individual treatments on the athletes and teaching is kind of the big, kind of the, the two big things I'm doing right now. And how much baseball are you watching? If it's not a guy that I'm working with, I don't watch any. <laughs> <laughs> if it's somebody that I'm working with, I might check, you know, the scores at the end of the night or just make sure they got through the night okay without anything happening. But really other than that, yeah, I've taken a little hiatus from baseball. Yeah, you've, you've seen enough games. Yeah, exactly. Super Sony, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for talking today. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com slash radio.